Welcome to the history class nobody asked for. This is Historically Accurate, the Historically Accurate podcast. I'm your host, Don Michelle Lewis. Joining me today is one of my favorite photographers and human beings of all time, Jelani Splan. Me? Oh yes, my you. <laughs> I didn't know I was that famous. Look, you're uh, going to be the official theme song for my Oopsies episodes, so you got to get used to the fame. All right. Well, I hope the fame does not overtake me. And then, like, to the point where I do cocaine and I say, I'm king of the world, Ma, look at me. I make no promises. All right. So, Jelani, please share with the class how we met. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) so sorry. We, uh, We met at a Black Lives Matter rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania last summer. Mm hmm. And we became very good friends uh, ever since then. Yep. It's a short and sweet story. It's great. Uh, nothing nothing weird. I mean, I, I do take partial responsibility for you and Sushma being together now. Yes, that's right. So I, we <laughs> probably should add like a little backstory to that. A little, bit, a little backstory. Yeah. So me and Sushma met years before down at Penn State Harrisburg. And we exchanged information and I didn't think I would see them again until I went over to the Black Lives Matter rally. And then I saw you and Sushma together. And it's like, oh, cool. That's nice. I remember that person. And so we just talked a little bit. And I remember just leaving with my friend because I didn't have my car with me. So like I was about to head home. And Sushma told me this. Sushma told me that they liked me, but they didn't know how to approach me in terms of <laughs> asking me out on a date and yep. so don don michelle uh you you come out with like the godfather like i'll make an offer you can't refuse and, <laughs> and 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 you said um you said hey listen either you ask him out or i'll do it for you yep <laughs> and, and so sushma sent me a message asking me to go on a date, but I didn't think it was because I thought it was just like a business meeting or whatever, because like, <laughs> like no one is like, I've never really, I've always used to have to ask people out. Like I never had anyone. It's never been the out. other way. Yeah. Yes. And so I didn't think of it as a date until Sushma literally had to tell me it was. And so, so the rat in my brain finished its smoke break and got on the wheel. <laughs> oh, and, <laughs> And so I was like, oh, well, yeah, this could be a date. And here we are six months later. That's right. Because um, your first date was what? Hot bean juice? Is that, is that yes. what? Because I, I, I hate that phrase so much. I, I thought it was hot bean snot, but no, that works too. Oh, ew. they're both <laughs> awful. Just, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that, but it's never left my brain since. But yeah, no, um, 
I'm I'm the friend that gives ultimatums like that because yeah. I was like, what's what's the worst that can happen? He could say no. You also gave me really good advice on how to like ask Shishma out. Oh my god! Because I did that. So <laughs> one last one last story. Don Michelle gave me a TikTok video and said, "This is how you're going to have to ask Shishma out." I was totally and, kidding, man. And then, and then I did it, and Sushma loved it, and and yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. I'm so proud to have been a part of this. <laughs> I did it very I'm, terribly. I'm like the ultimate third wheel at this point in my life. So we'll find you know. you someone, Don Michelle. No, I'm. Go- I don't need it. I'm good. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, never mind then. Look, there's no rush. Someday I'll get a cat, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I do still have the video of you asking Sushma to be your partner. And it was pretty great. It's awesome. It's one of my favorites of all time. (laughs) Oh, and uh, in in case people don't realize this, Sushma is the voice on the uh, theme song that you heard right at the top of the show. Uh, I forget that I don't hear it before I start recording, but that's a thing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right, everybody. That's my partner. And if you have a problem with it, you can just like meet me at this address that I'm going to type. Hold on. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Hold on, I got it. So, like, if you have a problem with me, you can meet me at seven four two Evergreen Terrace. Okay. Wait, where is that? You know what? No. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I was gonna. Answer I'm not. That for you. I'm not gonna go. <laughs> I just. It, that's it's Don Michelle. It's the Simpsons yeah. house. Oh, even better. <laughs> that's right because all the Springfields had a competition to see which Springfield was the one that the Simpsons were in, and it is not Illinois. It's it's somewhere. It's somewhere. I don't. In I just I just remember it wasn't Illinois. Yeah. They didn't win. They didn't win. Um. <laughs> So, John, tell me more about your photography. So, I started photography when I was back in college down at Penn State Harrisburg, and I graduated in 2017 with a degree in communications. But before that, I was still in college, and I didn't know what to do with my life. And my stepdad gave me a camera for Christmas, and so I just experimented with that. And the rest is history. I just did, like, a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I worked with photography studios. I just... And, and I just freelanced it and a lot of people liked my photos so I was like all right well I might as well just start like a small little Instagram and I did and yeah I've been exploring everywhere from like city to city and hopefully I get to do that a lot more once COVID uh clears up I very much look forward to it because I think you take great pictures I, I'm uh, I don't think I'm biased I might be but I don't care. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> so now it's time for 10 rapid fire questions that may or may not teach you something about my co-host. All right, let's okay. do it. This, yeah, this is your quiz. Uh, what is your current obsession? <sighs> Breathing heavily. <laughs> my- sounds, great. <laughs> sounds so great on recordings, too. Thanks. My current obsession is history documentaries. There's this one channel called, actually, there's two channels. There, it's called Biographics and Historically Accurate. You should probably oh. take a look at both of them. They're really good. 
Thanks. And very factual. <laughs> and crying. Uh, what's uh, what's your go-to comfort food? Everything and anything, but I would usually go get pho, which is like Vietnamese noodles. And there's one like right down the street that knows my name and they tremble in fear every time I stomp through asking for like a huge bowl of shrimp pho. See, I I could be wrong because I don't eat Vietnamese food, but I always thought it was pronounced pho because you would see the restaurant and it would be the name pho and then there's a space and then king. I could be wrong, but well, I... Well, Don Michelle... <laughs> You know, it's it's my civic duty as an American to get every foreign language wrong and have oh, same. Oh a false God. sense of and have a false sense of superiority over it. So I'm just <laughs> no, doing, I, yeah. I I was just genuinely asking. <laughs> I really don't know because I uh, I'm in the midst of studying five different languages and now they're all jumbled in my brain. And of course, speaking Vietnamese is not one of the ones on my list. So. so what's the first thing you do when you wake up oh my god um i say oh my god and then i have an existential crisis for two hours and then i have existential dread for one hour and then i stare into the abyss for three hours and then i play kingdom hearts for 45 minutes and then i go right to back to bed see i I, that's like that's like a full day yeah yeah it's a solid schedule yeah what is what what is the secret to a good shower um taking your clothes off first and then standing there and sing to your favorite songs for two hours until your skin gets very pruney Mm -hmm. and then lie on the bed for like eight hours and then realize that you're late for work and then realize realize that you don't have a job and then you cry yourself to sleep Oh, okay. So that kind of answered the next question, which was, what was the last thing you do before bed? And now it's crying, clearly. I mean, do you do any, are there any, like, rituals or anything else that you do before that, before the crying? Or just? I eat a lot of ice cream and watch Golden Girls. Oh, that's, that's a solid. Dude, after a long, dude, after a long day, you want to take off your bra, and then you just want to let, like, (laughs) you just want to let your stuff, like, hang out, flow in the wind. (laughs) I don't just, know anybody and, who's worn and, a bra in this entire pandemic, but and, you know. <laughs> yet me neither. Bras are only for the patriarchy. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> oh man. Uh what is a song that you have on repeat? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you sent it to me, but I can't I can't it's, listen uh, to it right now. I'm occupied. It's um it's I like it by DeMarge. It's a very it's a very eighties like african-american like song r&b and hip-hop and it's something that my mom and dad probably listened to before forgetting wearing a for before they forget to um wear a condom and um (laughs) and yeah yeah that's that's the perfect song for people who want to make babies and not think oh man maybe planned parenthood should have been a thing (laughs) uh yeah well i mean i now wake up to the banana boat song by harry belafonte so i i love that song okay try waking up to it just okay trust me because you don't (laughs) yeah because as soon as you hear (laughs) (laughs) you're 
instant smile on your face. Um, okay. I'm just giving out advice at this point in my life. So if I wake up with a panic attack, who do I contact? <laughs> That's not me. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should be concerned if uh, the song starts singing through you as it did in Beetlejuice. That's yeah. when it's a that's when it's a, a genuine problem. <laughs> What's your favorite non-perfume smell? This is going to be weird. No, it's fine. It... That's the point of the question. So you know when you're a kid and when you go into elementary school and like the hallways smell like Clorox or like um something that yeah, the like... janitors put down? That's yeah. that is the best smell. I don't know why. It just reminds me of the time where like I felt alive. So we need to find you that cleaner to put in your house, is what you're saying. It'll probably that... work. It'll probably work. <laughs> Just bleach everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not going to go well for anybody. Uh, so I need you to fill in this blank. Okay. Blank is the best medicine. Laughter. What a cliche. I knew it. I knew you were going to say laughter. And <laughs> last hey. but not least, yeah. what? What? No, go ahead. No, I was about to say, I mean, like, after all, laughter does clear up my sciatica. Oh, yeah, that's so nice. Every time I feel bad, I, I just laugh at James Corden pretending to be funny, and then, like, <laughs> all my problems go away. <laughs> I don't even watch it. I don't watch him, so I can't. I can't. Oh, you, you know should. what? I'll try it. I'll try it. No, no I, I shouldn't? Okay. You shouldn't. we're learning a lot about you today what is your what is your weirdest ritual participating in rapid 10 questions perfect love it but um yeah i'll I'll give you a serious one finally so like well my serious obsession or my my weirdest ritual is that what you said yeah okay so like I'll go before I take a shower. I'll like be in the bathroom for like 45 minutes and I'll just like watch YouTube clips of like The Sopranos or like Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> and then like before I take a shower, like, <laughs> oh my God, I, I pretend as if I'm like in that world. So like I'm acting <laughs> like I'm a quality actor or like a, a mobster. <laughs> and I'm oh, like, much <laughs> what did you say i love it so much <laughs> i go hey yo that's my ma she baked me that pasta fazool and stuff like that and, <laughs> and the, I, this is great and the italian community immediately gets upset and they come after me but it's okay i'm too busy listening to james gandolfini yell at people for 10 minutes <laughs> No, if you really want to make them mad, go to Italy and order um, Alfredo pasta. I'll go, this isn't McDonald's. <laughs> anyway, that's. I'm so glad I learned that about you today. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now that we've done all that, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into the lesson. Yay! So, yay, we're learning even baby's, more. Baby's first history lesson. Let's go. Have you not studied history? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first day. Uh, so this one time in the United States, an aircraft launches via catapult. Launching via catapult led to a lot of petty drama. <laughs> There's a man named Samuel Pierpoint Langley, who we didn't learn about in schools because 
he's not the Wright brothers, I guess. <laughs> so he was born in Massachusetts in 1834, and he was like the definition of the jack of all trades he grew to be a man of many interests and like it was kind of like how one thing led to another kind of thing like it was like the epitome of don't pick one career kind of thing so in his childhood he became very interested in astronomy but that doesn't pay well so he went to school and studied architecture and that's where he learned how to do like technical freehand drawing uh, out in chicago He built telescopes with his brother. He traveled across Europe to visit museums and, you know, educate himself. And while he was out there, he became fluent in French. When he returned from Europe, he got a job at Harvard College Observatory. And then after working there for a year, he became a professor of mathematics for the U.S. Naval Academy. And then after that, he was uh, hired to restore their observatory and that was when he officially, you know, achieved his dream of becoming an astronomer. Just, you know, took some time. <laughs> and then, does. <laughs> it always takes time. You can't, you can't rush those kind of things. I mean, my goodness, that was like a 50-step process. And then he moved to Pennsylvania. Finally, and, we're, we're famous for something. Oh, uh, finally. He did something here. <laughs> uh, so he... Uh, was hired to take over the Allegheny Observatory, which didn't have really great equipment and didn't have like a huge library or really anything like that. So he, in the midst of trying to figure out ways to continue teaching and come up with money for the observatory, he's also really interested in the, in the problems in keeping time in the mid 19th century. So like our concept of time, of standard time as we know it, was not the same then. Like, not everybody synchronized their watches and such. So he had this idea that the observatory could establish the correct time and then essentially telegraph that to railroad stations because, you know, running on time for the railroad was like a big deal. And the first place to sign up was the Pennsylvania Railroad, which was huge he would transmit the correct time twice a day to several hundred stations. And then once all these other businesses in the area noticed like how accurate their time was and how much it was helping them, like they signed up and then that brought in the necessary money to support the observatory. Good for yeah. you, man. <laughs> like that's actually kind of genius. On top of that, it should be noted that he was very much about sharing information with the public like any research he was doing, he would publish it in ways that like, like you and I would understand. Well, you probably would understand more than me, but like <laughs> he, he made sure that it didn't matter who was reading it. They knew what was going on kind of thing. Uh, and he would also, you know, give lectures on the research he was doing for whatever reason. He was really interested in the sun. <laughs> like that was he, like he wanted to, he wanted to figure out how to measure how like the sun like practically it was pretty much like early solar energy you have to remember this is the late 1800s so like that is pretty there's a that was all for that time period a lot well like i can see why like he was interested in the sun i mean it's just like well it's like you said this was like what did you say the 18th like 19th century 
Like this yeah. one was like anything was still a possibility. What you think about yeah. it? Like someone can look at the sun and just go, "There's got to be some way to touch it." <laughs> he did try to take pictures of it. I... Now, granted, he worked he worked at an, an observatory, so you know he had a little more equipment than most people would, but uh, he really didn't succeed at taking. He'd pictures. be really great for YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, in trying to study the sun, he went on these expeditions and that would take them up into the mountains and of course Pennsylvania has plenty of those and then it was while he was studying the sun that he became interested in aerodynamics and flight in 1887 he became the third secretary of the Smithsonian and we're going to get into how he became a pioneer in the field of aviation (laughs) I just realized I neglected to mention how we even found this topic (laughs) Jelani, would you like to share with the class? Oh yeah, we I, I shared I shared a very <laughs> funny meme. You sent me a meme. This is from a meme. Well, not this. Like I had to research it. <laughs> like... So so this this came from a newspaper from the New York Times on December eighth, nineteen o three, and some of the some of the caption um, goes like this: "Man won't fly for a million. Hold on, I gotta I gotta do like my." my uh voice acting yeah do your vo- do the man voice. won't fly for a million years to build a flying machine would require the combined and continuous efforts of mathematicians and mechanics for one million to ten million years and it only took nine days later for the wright brothers just to do what they had to do yes so we are going to address that mean because the i i found the article itself uh the dates are wrong um <laughs> but we'll get oh, 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 whoa oh. hold on <laughs> what a mean <laughs> I'm so. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. Are you choking I'm on your water? Sick right now. You mean to tell me the internet lied to me? <laughs> Not a hundred percent. I just mean, you know, when you're using memes, check the information. What? Um, <laughs> so that's what we're gonna do. Because it's not, like I said, it's not a hundred percent wrong. Uh, but <laughs> we'll get we'll man. Get what into a wild it. concept. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, I mean, initially I thought Langley wrote this article about himself, and I was I was wrong about that. So, so no. Anyway, anyway, back to back to our story. We now return to you regularly playing pro. What is that? Whatever. Uh, so he came up with the aerodrome, or what's otherwise known as Langley's flying machine. So <laughs> he clearly he he had more than one. I should mention that. And so each one was better than the last. And it was he was very much the kind of person who just like did not let failure stop him, which is great. It's a good quality to have. So he in 1893 finally had the steam powered steam powered aerodrome that he deemed ready to fly. And he used a houseboat to launch it. Ooh. I know. So that's so bizarre. Like who uses a house? I don't even know how he got the idea for a houseboat. Anyway, he launched it, and it ultimately the experiment failed because they it it was a bit breezy and uh, they had no control. They had no control over this this. There's nobody in it. I should mention there's nobody in it yet. He's just trying to figure out the part of flying, which this is something that I learned today that. I'm now going to make everybody else live with if they're listening to this. (laughs) 
We don't know why planes stay in the air. There are theories. We there there, but it's like a, a, a there's different arguments as to why they stay. What in do you the th- air. What do you okay? Why do you think planes stay in the air? Magic. <laughs> um. Uh, <laughs> no. So like it's it's mathematically sound and like obviously there's no reason to be afraid of of flying for for that reason at least but <laughs> there's <laughs> there's no official i don't know how to how to phrase it like there's no real answer to why it's why something that massive will stay in the air that is they know how it goes up they know how it comes down yeah that is true <laughs> it it's I mean, now, now that I think about it, I don't really know why planes stay up in the sky the way they do. I think it's like the same thing with like animals, because um, I, I'm gonna send you a little prehistory fact. One of the largest flying animals w- is the Quetzalcoatl. So you're asking yourself like, how does this thing just fly? And so scientists have created speculations and theories about how that's happened too. I even when we conquer like flying we're still asking ourselves questions like how does this become a thing like how do you know <laughs> well and i mean there's it's just like how bumblebees shouldn't be that, able to that's, fly but they that's do the best. little bodies they're they're so but they fly so well <laughs> <laughs> not really they'll fly into things but i just it's just no one can explain why they stay in the air that's it, it so, Don Michelle, I, I I can create a controversial statement for you, if if I mm. if, if I wanted to go on Twitter and or Reddit and get all these likes and awards, I I, I would be a I would be a controversial contrarian and say flying things aren't real. Like I <laughs> they they've been they've been created by Satan to test your faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm sick of big air trying to promote um, airplanes. It's shameless, and even though I've been on airplanes multiple times for vacations i still won't believe that airplanes are real so yeah you know i might just i might just join you on that because like okay so like when i was in middle school i don't know if you got to experience this or if your school did tech ed i know they cut programs and you're younger than me so we had i don't know how i ended up in this flight simulator which is one of the things that they actually use to train pilots because you can become a pilot at least in Pennsylvania at the age of 14 you can fly a plane before you can drive a car and if you pass flight simulator then the school would actually like send you to go get your pilot's license I don't remember where I was going with that story but it happened oh yeah that's uh, how I don't believe in planes because I got to fly one yep so yeah um, airplanes aren't real they're, they're lying to you or not and it's all and this uh, and that's the podcast all the end all right <laughs> <laughs> but no so, so like on on a mathematical level you know we know how to design them so that they will stay aloft right but the ultimately it's like the the, the equations that don't explain why lift occurs like the air the actual aerodynamic what are the words? Aerodynamic lift. And there are two main theories that people you know, think are the answer. But anyway, there's, uh, there's no consensus. And that's, that was the point I was making. That was longer than it needed to be. But anyway, so 
this this guy tried. Right? <laughs> so with more testing, we're going back to the aerodromes now. Uh, more testing and tweaks and you know fixing and making new models. Eventually, we come to aerodrome number five. Right. This was the first, at least for him, successful. Well, no, because the Wright brothers didn't even start until 1899. So, it, this was the first real success that he had was with number five because it made it 35 feet in the air and it flew for a few seconds before it went into the water which of course at that time was like a really big deal (laughs) so in in 1895 he made a few more adjustments to number five and then they tested it again and it made three circles to the left and went 60 feet into the air big 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 steps so while he was testing number five, um, they were also building number six. Because you have to realize, it's not just this guy. Like, he works for the Smithsonian. He has a team. So along came number six. And this one, when they got to test it, it flew 4,800 feet in less than two minutes. So his models showed so much promise that he got the attention of President McKinley. And... Because this is how the United States government works. He received a $50,000 grant from the War Department. Because if you invent something that we might be able to use to fight people, we'll give you money for it. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point of the podcast. Right, you just I go on you. tangents. So, like, it's fun. Picture this. A scientist invents a water bottle with wing. You don't know why. He just does. And the government's like, we can use this. It, it, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, um, you know, that, that fun little bit that you hear about how America put extra large condoms in packaging that was labeled a size less and then dropped it all over Russia. We actually did that. So I we can officially weaponize anything. Okay, so what I did was just a joke, but now it just got way too real. You're welcome. Look, <laughs> I have to... I live with this stuff in my head now. Okay, that's, somebody else. That's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> you ever hear that one? No. Oh my gosh. Okay, back to back to airplanes. <laughs> so, essentially, with the fifty thousand dollars, now he's able to, you know, obviously that gives him more money to do more things. So, Aero Jumps number five and six. Uh, they only flew a total of three times in eighteen ninety six, and now. He was in a position where he needed to build something that would accommodate the weight of a man. Why you wouldn't use a woman as we are traditionally lighter, especially in that time period, I don't know. But I digress. Uh, I guess they could have used a small man, but whatever. <laughs> Just get a horse jockey. So in 1899, both 5 and 6 were fitted with new engines. The, the guy who built them was Langley's assistant. Charles Manley. Uh, And that guy actually had to go tour Europe and check out how they made engines just to try and create something that Mm -hmm. we could use here. And they also came up with a new launch technique. I don't know how it changed from the original catapult. It didn't say. Can you imagine if we were catapulted anytime we needed to fly somewhere? That'd be the greatest dream ever. I wouldn't mind that. If I needed if I needed to get to work in time, I would just go on my boat and just be like, all right, I gotta head to work in like five minutes solid. 
it's it's just terrifying. Just catapult Especially people if you're everywhere. Especially afraid of heights. Anyway, so that brings us. Oh my gosh! Yes, I. That's me. But I, I tell myself it's the fear of falling, and then just not to fall. It doesn't help. It just reframe. It just reframes it. So on October seventh, nineteen o three, after seventy thousand dollars had been invested in the aerodrome, seventy thousand. Now, and that's so back then, uh, I know like 50,000 would be closer to like 2 million. So we're over the 2 million mark for sure. Now, this was piloted by Langley's assistant, Charles Manley. That's wild. Yeah. Just wait until you just wait until the year it happens. So, you know, Langley gets in because he's now officially the first pilot to try this. Well, I don't even think they called him a pilot yet. <laughs> just called him the assistant. God, get, I've worked as an assistant before, and I would not. I would. I think I would quit the second my boss was like, "Hey, I'm gonna need you to go into this screaming metal death trap, and I'm gonna launch you across the water. Good luck." I just need you to fly it. I know you're not trained. I know you don't have a license, but I need you to try it, and I'll pay you significantly less than I than what I earn. <laughs> Exactly. He gets in, they catapult it, and it goes right into the water. And the aerodrome is demolished. Did the, go- did the government pay for this? Actually, uh, I they did. Yes, I would. That w- that's important, and it will I would come up again. I would just stage uh, an assassination. I I would just be. Able- well, you have to remember they have two. They have two of these. They have number yeah, five true. and number six. But two million dollars, I'd I'd stage a, so, a fake assassination. I'd be like, "What happened? I guess he just ex- randomly died." <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's important to note that um, Charles Manley was not injured in this accident, and there are pictures somewhere. Like I saw them on the Smith. How do you? I saw them on the Smithsonian website. I just, I, I can't speak anymore. So, uh, at this point, people thought Langley was kind of like a joke. And that leads us to the meme that you had sent me. Because, uh, what was the date you it said was, it, uh, that, that meme came out? Oh, no, what, oh, what, what month? Oh, man, I had it. I was so I close. You had it. December 8th. No. That's not when that came out. The article came out October ninth of nineteen oh three. Because well, and you'll see you'll see why. So the New York Times penned the editorial, uh, "Flying machines which do not fly," which essentially just made fun of Langley. They even made light of the fact that Manley had a cork jacket on as like a, and and that. That ultimately is what became like his life preserver because you know cork floats, and they said it would take one million to ten million years for a machine to fly, and then December eighth, as your meme mentioned, that's when they did their second test, and he briefly proved the times correct because the aerodrome crashed again, and Langley was like, "All right, I'm done. We're not flying anymore." <laughs> <laughs> but then of course the times prediction was short-lived because it was december 17th so nine weeks after the 
Times editorial, it was Orville and Wilbur Wright took to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina with yeah. the Wright Flyer. Yeah, and they successfully took to the skies four times that day, including a flight over 800 feet lasting that's, nearly a that's full a minute. Story. It's all, you know, it's funny to think that this almost couldn't have been a thing. Had it not been, had had it not been for one well, incident, the story doesn't end there. It continues. <laughs> so, of course, like I said, Langley never tried to fly again, and he actually died three years later. Now, remember how the government had invested in Langley's aerodrome? Yes. yes, we recall. Well, the Wright brothers, who have successfully flown men now, could not get the government to invest in their flying machines. Because they were already embarrassed. <laughs> have, <laughs> they have, gave the money to Langley, who failed have, have, spectacularly. Have they tried to pull the John twice. Mulaney joke where they go, give us some money? You know what? I don't think they had a John Mulaney back then to do that with. But I, I think if they had, it would have worked. <laughs> so, essentially, the Wright brothers just like stopped flying completely until they were able to get a patent to pass because now that they made a machine that worked, all these people kept stealing their designs to make their own planes. And uh, it's really hard to prove to the government that your planes work when, you're, when you refuse to fly them. So in enters a man named Glenn Curtis. He was one that stole some of the, I'm sorry, he used some of the early Wright designs and he actually lost a patent infringement suit to the Wrights. And he wanted to find a way to break the patent that the Wrights had, had gotten. So the way he decided to do this was to prove that another person actually developed the first flying machine capable of flight before the Wrights. Well, who, whose invention do you think he pulled into this little scheme? Jelani, you're supposed to answer the question. <gasps> you got it. So, so there's of course because um, Langley had passed away. There's a new secretary of the Smithsonian Institution. I'm sorry, I'm never gonna say Smithsonian. Gosh, it's all good. I can't say it. <sighs> so the 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 new secretary at that place <laughs> is Charles Walcott. And he was very much on Langley's side. Like, mm, he, he truly believed that the, the issue with Langley's flying machine was how he was trying to launch it. And, I mean, he wasn't wrong. He used a boat Which is and always a catapult. But anyway, idea. so... <laughs> catapult everything. So, <laughs> Curtis was given permission to borrow the aerodrome in 1914. So he made some modifications because the houseboat that was originally used was no longer available, obviously. <laughs> and they weren't going to put a houseboat in a museum. He tested it with the engine that was built by Charles Manley. And then he tested it with his own engines. Uh, and he determined that this aircraft could, in fact, fly. So then he re restored the aerodrome to its original condition and returned it to the Smithsonian. I got really excited about this part because it's just, it's just so petty. So the 
1914 Smithsonian report included an article by A.F. Zam, which stated, The first man carrying aeroplane in the history of the world capable of sustained free flight. And it was referring to the aerodrome. And then the Smithsonian even put a very clearly stated, um, I'm going to rephrase this. The Smithsonian clearly stated on the aerodrome's display label that this was the first man-carrying airplane in the history uh, of the world capable of sustained free flight. So that started a feud between the Smithsonian fight, fight, and the right. Fight, 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 Yeah, uh, so Orville Wright decided to make an extended loan of the original Wright Flyer to the South Kensington Science Museum in London. And he said, unless otherwise noted, you get to keep this even if I die. The Smithsonian wasn't very happy about this when the next secretary took over. His name is Charles Abbott. And he pretty much like started backtracking <laughs> for, for, for what the other guy did. And in 1928, he published a paper in the Smithsonian Miscellaneous Collections. And he said, <laughs> original statements by the Smithsonian were not entirely correct. Well, that doesn't say, hey, we were wrong or anything like that. Like, that's just like, we may have been wrong. And of course, Orville was like, no, nah, that's not good enough for me. Like, mm -mm, not going to, no. Not going to acknowledge you. <laughs> no, I meant to look up who this one guy is, but oh well, we'll just skip that part. It's not important. Uh, hold on. Let's look up who Charles Lindbergh is, because I feel like I know who that oh, is. Oh, the guy behind the, the whole Lindbergh baby Charles... thing? I think so. Charles He lost Lindbergh. his baby. Hey. <laughs> oh, Here we go. Charles Lindbergh. Was he friends with Orville, is that why? Is that why he's coming up? This is what. Let's see here. Yeah, it was the child. It was yep. the baby. Yeah, people called it the crime of the century. And that's when kidnapping was established as a federal crime. If a child is, t if if they go across the state lines. Wow, I'm learning so much today. But essentially, that's the guy. That's <laughs> that's the guy that was called in to like talk some sense in the Orville. Because essentially what Abbott was trying to do was get the original Wright Brother plane into the Smithsonian. Okay, so yes, Abbott enlisted Charles Lindbergh of the, what did you call it? Yeah. The baby kidnapping, yep. crime of the century. <laughs> to, to help, it's not funny. Kidnapping is not funny. That's right, don't laugh. The... Whatever you do, don't <laughs> laugh, Don Michelle. It's not funny. <laughs> don't I, I hear you laughing. <laughs> I'm that. I'm not laughing at that. I'm just laughing at why it took me I'm so long to put two and two together. But he, he, <laughs> I know. I'm not laughing at that. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm laughing at the circumstances around it, which is this podcast. Um, so that guy, that guy was enlisted to help persuade Orville Wright to transfer the flyer to the Smithsonian. Uh, look, I have a note that says, please research Lindbergh, and then I didn't. 
<laughs> so then in 1942, Abbott wrote another paper, and that included an analysis of the aerodrome testing done in 1914. He, and, and then in this letter, he openly recognized the damage they had done, that the Smithsonian had done to the Wright's reputation, you know, by pretty much trying to undermine them for their accomplishment. And then uh, he endorsed the claim that the Wrights were the inventors of the airplane. And then at the end of the letter, <clears throat> i got to do my best man voice here. Abbott concluded by saying, If the publication of this paper should clear the way for Dr. Wright to bring back to America the Kitty Hawk machine to which all of the world awards first place, it would be a source of profound and enduring gratification to his countrymen everywhere. Should he decide to deposit the plane in the United States National Museum, which is the Smithsonian, <laughs> it's the Smithsonian. <laughs> it would be given the highest place of honor, which is that was beautiful, Don Michelle. Can due. I try? So. Uh, I, was about to, I was about to read the thing too. You were like, "It, it this needs." No, right. do it, do it. You might do it better. You, you'll probably right. do it better. I, uh, I got to do some like vocal things. Ahem. Me, 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 me. Yeah. I should have went to Juilliard. I should have went to yeah. Juilliard. I should have went to Juilliard. Okay, let's go. Yeah. All right. Affirmation. You ready? Yeah. If the publication of this letter should clear the way for Dr. Wright to bring back to America the Kitty Hawk machine, to which all the world awards first place, it will be a source of profound and enduring gratification to his countrymen everywhere, should he decide to deposit the plane in the United States National Museum, the Smithsonian, it would be given the highest place of honor, which it is due. Did it. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry, does that come with the frog? I think that's copyright. Uh, what? Um, is it? Is it really? <clears throat> that's racist. I don't know. Degree. I don't know how, but it is. <laughs> I can't. Anyway, that was beautiful. Thank you so much <clears throat> for. You should do like a doing that. like an echo over it. <laughs> <laughs> Add oh. more. I, I, look, my editing skills aren't that good. Uh. <laughs> so anyway to get to the end of the story. So, of course, Orville Wright didn't respond to this. And then after he died and they were reading his will, that's when they discovered that he actually gave the flyer to the Smithsonian. And the flyer was brought back to the United States in 1948, which is which was one year after Orville Wright died. And they placed it at the entrance of the Arts and Industries Building in the place of honor mentioned by Abbott. The end. The end. That was a beautiful story from start to finish. It it all began with a man's dream Thank of you. doing something greater than himself to just petty arguments. <laughs> well, I shouldn't... It's not like a catapult like you would imagine uh, in like medieval times when or whatever time period. I didn't look into catapult time periods. Um, but like the that classic like scoop being held down and then a, like a rock on fire goes or something. It's not like that. It it was like it looked almost like it was like a spinning type of deal. Like they would spin it and it would release. I don't know. I don't know why. But it, <laughs> why like would a... they? 
want to have the need to die so badly. <laughs> They're trying to fly. Okay. I believe you. They're trying to fly. I mean, they were trying to figure out how to get lift, which, you know, we still don't really know how that works. Huh. I know. So, yeah, that's the, uh, that's uh, why you should check your means. That is, that's the podcast. That is very important information. (laughs) Can I also add a tidbit of information for you and the crew who is listening? Okay, so please do. Um, a couple of minutes ago, I was just like, it's crazy how one incident changed everything. I was referring to an event that happened with the Wright brothers. So like a, a little background. So the Wright brothers were raised by a local bishop and their parents mm-hmm. were very accepting of like their desire to learn how flying machines work which every parent should do. They should always support their kids' dreams because look what happens. And um, so the brothers, um, they, were, they, they couldn't have been more different. They loved each other, but they couldn't have been more different than each other. For example, Wilbur was always bright and studious. Like he was like the Chad of his day and everyone wanted to hang out. He want, they wanted to hang <laughs> out with him and he was going to go to Yale. Unfortunately, when they were, in, when they were living in Ohio, the neighborhood bully and the bully's name is hold on i have it here somewhere yeah the bully yeah, call him out. um his name was oliver crook hog or hugh i don't know how to say it <laughs> terrible terrible name for, name a, terrible for a human, human being i know well here's the thing langley wasn't even that's part the of worst part the too second part he j- like <laughs> He, he got he just involved wanted to do in, a jackknife out of his catapult from his boat, and he got denied <laughs> that. I really, oh man, I wish there was a video of them trying to. I, fly I, plane. I want to know how the conversation went by. They're just like, okay, so I have a catapult, and the other person just goes, okay, I'm listening. I'm worried, but I'm listening. Yeah, we don't know whether it's an accident or he was just bullying or not but because of that incident Wilbur was hit in the face of a hockey stick it broke his jaw it knocked out most of his upper teeth and um what else um yeah he would have had his jaw set had false teeth he suffered a lot of pain in his face he suffered from heart palpitations indigestions and several indigestion yes indigestion Thank you. Okay, I was just making, I was like, wait, And he also (laughs) suffered bouts of depression for years. And he didn't want to go to Yale anymore because he had to take care of his mom who was dying of tuberculosis. And so this this changed his life forever. And because of that, he stayed back home with his brother, Orville. And the two of them set up a bike shop together, and then the rest is history. And as for the bully, well, you can tell that he grew up to have a bright young future because he turned out to be a psychopath who was likely addicted to cocaine drops. Yes, so cocaine drops back then, it was supposed to help with stuff like toothaches and headaches and everything. So, you know, it it was supposed to be their version of Tylenol. 
Oh, it was like a... But yeah, the like fact medicine. that it was yeah. cocaine did sense. not help because he also believed that he was more than one person, like a Jackal Mr. Hyde situation. So years, years oh, after this incident, so he would become a serial killer and he killed at least six... He killed at least six people, including his including his own family. Oh my god! And how do we get and, into serial killers now? Oh my god! This is and this at is the same so time he was today. executed for his crimes. The Wright brothers already flew their plane. So we've learned wow. a lot of things today. Number one, don't ever go to Ohio. Number two, don't ever go to Ohio. Yeah, statistically, uh, most serial killers that? come from Ohio. Is it because they realized they're from Ohio? I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't want to lose people listening in Ohio, but like, I've listened to enough don't... <laughs> other true crime podcasts to know that. Don Michelle, I don't, I don't go think to you're Ohio. the biggest worry. I think the serial killers that are running around in Ohio is the biggest worry for your listeners. That's true. They should be more afraid of that. Uh, it's well, the serial killers leave Ohio, and I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, build like, a wall around them. That there. always works. <laughs> Look, we but know we're going to try again, work. and if it fails, we catapult them. <laughs> Easy. No, I'm just glad I learned this because I uh, here's a nerd moment. My uh, high school marching band, we did my was my junior year of high school. We did a whole show about the Wright, Wright brothers. We learned a lot from that. <laughs> and we built a plane right. on the football field. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you're a nerd without saying you're a nerd. But yeah, that's... <laughs> hey, you know what? We won nationals yeah, with that show. Yeah, killed it. So we, we even got this guy... Because you know how every high school has one guy with like a mm-hmm. really deep voice? We got him. We got him to join the marching band so that he could narrate. That's beautiful. <laughs> so so stupid. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, on that note, uh, I do believe we are at the end of class. Yeah, no so problem. Thank you so much for joining me on this on this flight. Oh, I should this, have done this like a. Like I a always enjoy. It. Anyway. <laughs> This took me down. So, fortunately, today's rabbit hole was just one straight shot, for the most part. But yeah, thank you so much. And uh, uh, all right, I finally get to go dismissed. and deal with the outside world. Hi there, happies. As you probably know, this is an indie podcast. That means just about all the work required for producing the show is done by yours truly. If you write to the show on any platform, I reply. If you order something, I send it. The researching, the editing, publishing episodes, creating social media content, all that jazz. You may have noticed that I do not run ads on Historically Accurate, and I would like to keep it that way for as long as I possibly can. So, if you like the show, please follow the social media accounts, leave a review, share it with your friends, the works. And if you really like this show and want to support us you can send a one-time donation of any amount to our venmo at historically accurate or consider setting up a reoccurring donation to historically accurate on patreon at patreon.com slash the ha podcast 
There you will find exclusive content, bloopers, merchandise, tickets for live recordings, first access to live show tickets, and even some Patreon-exclusive episodes. Each tier is a term of endearment in what I am affectionately calling the happy place. I sincerely appreciate every one of you who listens, and I'll see you in the happy place.